So today we're going to be taking a break from our um, study in the book of Revelation. And before we enter into Advent, um, Marcus is going to be teaching us from the book of Mark. So if you'd like to open up your Bible or follow along on the screen, it's going to be the book of Mark, chapter 10. And we're going to be reading from verse 17 to 31. So it's the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17 to 21. This is God's word. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we gather here once again. Father, we just thank you for the gift of grace. The Lord, how we spoke of this morning, that only through Jesus that we are saved. And God, we thank you for that salvation, that it is not a gift that we receive through our works, but purely through your goodness. And Lord, I just pray this morning as Marcus comes to teach, Lord, that you would just anoint him with your spirit. Father, that whatever you have prepared through him, God, that it would just sink into our hearts. And Lord, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high. God, that we would walk away from this place this morning, feeling uplifted as we look to you, our only source of salvation. And Father, we just pray for John as well as he preaches over in Living Stones in Nevada. And I pray that you're with him and just anoint him with your spirit. And that Lord, that your, your gospel would be proclaimed both here in Rough Island and in Nevada. And God, we just pray at this time for our cap 
um, ministry and as well for the well. And Lord, we pray for the wider community around us, Father, that that both through CAP and the well, that we would be able to bless those who are struggling at this time and, and really need help. And just help us as your people to have our eyes open to the needs of those around us, Father. So God, just send your spirit here this morning. Help us to be challenged and changed and, um, and ultimately, Father, repent of the sin that, that we carry and, and be able to walk out of here free in the, in the love of Jesus. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Steph. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's always, always really good to be here on Sunday morning. And hopefully you are, feel the same. Um, it's always good to gather as God's people uh, to worship him together. So um, good to be here this morning. Uh, we're in Mark this morning, as uh, Steph has said. So just before we go into our Advent, which is uh, sort of an in-between message before we stuck in that. So hopefully you're looking forward to Advent. I know we are. Um, but yes, we're in Mark this morning, Mark uh, 10. And um, as always, if you have your Bible, if you have a Bible, please keep it open. Okay, This is always the way we want to approach preaching and teaching on Cornerstone is that um, it all has to be centered in God's Word. And so we always like you to have your Bible open so you can follow along and read it yourself and check what's been said from the front to make sure we're not teaching any heresy, and hopefully this morning there won't be any heresy. Um, I can't even say, well, I can get away with it because John's not here, because everyone's recorded now, so we'll be able to hear it anyway. Um, we have a few, well, we have at least one doctor with us this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to call you to do anything. <laughs> um, hopefully. And one, I don't know, if I asked that doctor or any doctor um, just about their their patients, right? So I'm sure they could tell us that they've got a, a range of patients with uh, all different types of patients and all different personalities, put it like that, of patients. Yeah, um, a doctor shows you the patients that come in that um, they'll come in as normal and they'll, they'll sit down in front of the doctor, they'll tell them the symptoms and the doctor will listen to them and diagnose them and hopefully uh, prescribe something as a cure. <clears throat> but then I'm sure you'll also get people that... Um, come in and they'll tell the symptoms, but they'll also tell the diagnosis. So they themselves sorted. And this is what, how I'm feeling, and I think this is what it is, according to Google. And then you may, be, you may be bothered, and they're not even bothered coming in. They just ring up, and they just ask for the prescription. Because they know what's wrong with them. They'll tell the doctor, this is what's wrong with this. I don't need to take the doctor. Just you tell them to get me a prescription. This is what's wrong with me. So I don't know where you fit in, and I'm not going to ask you what's those you are. Um, so, but in either case, in any instance, um, it's the doctor's job to listen to them and the doctor will listen to them and investigate and dig deeper in order to find out what the real problem is. What is that? What's the heart of the problem? You know, they'll not just listen to a few things. They'll have to dig deep to see what's actually at the root of the problem because it's only when they find out what the root of the problem is that then they'll be able to properly diagnose them and properly be able to um, give them medication. So they'll sit down, they'll talk to them, they'll, they'll listen to the patient and then when they, when they feel that they know what's wrong, what the heart of the problem is, they'll tell, they'll explain this to the patient so that the patient understands before giving them the medication. The patient, it's important that the patient has to understand what's wrong with them and why they're giving them this medication. And so in Mark, I think it's sort of, there's something similar to happening in Mark's gospel here, 
where Jesus meets this young man. He's commonly known as the rich young ruler because this account is given over a few of the Gospels. And when you put all the information together, you understand that this man is young. He's a ruler, so he's in some form of prominence. And he's rich. And so Jesus is, has this encounter with this man who comes to him with a question, a really good question. What must I do to have eternal life? And so this man knows um, there's something not right with him. Right? He knows there's something not right. He knows there's something missing, and he wants to know how he can get it. So what is wrong with me so that I can have eternal life? And so as we look at this this morning, um, I think when I've been studying this, I think there's lessons for us to learn. There's both lessons for, for you if you're not a Christian. So maybe if you're in a similar position as this person, Maybe you're searching for something. You're searching for eternal life or you're searching for a relationship with God or you feel an emptiness and you're searching for how to fill that. Well, then there's obviously teaching in here for you. But there's also teaching in here for those who are Christians. And I believe there's teaching here in how we share the gospel with people. And so as we look at this morning, how, how does Jesus answer this question? How does Jesus share the gospel? How does Jesus ultimately evangelize this young person? I think there's really good lessons for us to learn this morning in that as well, and how we share the gospel with others. So here you have it, a man runs up to Jesus, kneels before him and says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life or to inherit eternal life? Now, if you're an evangelist at all, right, if you, if you enjoy evangelism, if you enjoy that opportunity to share the gospel with people, what would you not give for this opportunity? I mean, Jesus is kind of getting ready to leave here. He's going to go on to somewhere else. And some young guy, a young person, runs up to him, bows before him and says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? How can I be saved? Please tell me how I can be saved. What an opportunity. Like, if you're an evangelist at heart, you would be crying out for opportunities like this. And so here, I don't know what, well, I wonder how you would respond. So if somebody said this to you. Now, maybe for some of us, we'd be like, somebody come up and says, hello, please tell me how I can become a Christian or how I can have eternal life. Maybe it would be a bit like, some of us might be a bit like a deer in headlights. Like, and you'd be kind of trying to get, you know, I don't know, John on speed dial. John, if somebody wants to talk to you here, here you go. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you're like that. That's, that's okay. Right? There's a lot of us are like that. Or maybe you'll, maybe you'll, maybe you will engage with them and maybe you'll say, you know, the things that, you know, well, you just need a, a bit like John said last week, invite Jesus into your heart. Or maybe you'll say, <clears throat> you know, well, yeah, you need to trust in Jesus. Or maybe you'll say, tell them that Jesus died on the cross and, and you need to believe in him. Or maybe you'll talk about, well, what, what you've done in the past doesn't matter because Jesus can forgive all of that. And, and all of these things are right. They're not wrong. Well, inviting Jesus in your heart, it's debatable. But they're, they're not necessarily wrong things. But I think here in Mark, when we see how Mark approaches this question, I think Jesus has a different starting point here. And a really important starting point. And Jesus' interaction here, there's one key thing that he knows that he needs this man to realize before anything else. 
before he starts talking about any of the blessings of a Christian life, before he starts talking about the hope of eternal life, before he even starts talking about the forgiveness of sins, there's something else he needs this man to realize. Right? He needs this man to realize that he is a sinner. He needs this man to realize that he falls short of the glory of God. And Jesus knows this is vital. He needs this person to see what the problem is before he ever presents the solution. It's a bit like me or a bit like anybody who goes to the doctor. Whenever I was, um, whenever I, I was diagnosed with diabetes years ago, um, when I was about 15, I think, or 16, the, the, so the doctor, the consultant, didn't just bring me in and do a few tests and then say, then hand me a couple of needles and a couple of, and back in those days, a couple of needles, a couple of vials of insulin. I know I'm not old. You didn't have to be fancy pens at that point. Right, he didn't just, just hand that to me and say, there you go, take those twice today. Your eyes rain, no bother. See you later. Come back in a year's time. We'll do a recheck. Now, if he did do that, like, I would need to be extremely trusting of my doctor just to say, okay, and start stabbing needles in myself twice a day. No, what did he do? He, he brought me in. He, he talked to me, done the test, but then he sat me down and said, okay, here's the problem. Right? That's his starting point. Here's the problem. The problem is, and he went through, and I went to the medical part of it because I don't even probably fully understand it anyway. Right? But he talked about the pancreas and not producing insulin. And he said, here's the problem. Your body isn't producing insulin. So what you're going to have to do now, you're going to have to inject insulin, blah, 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 blah. So now that you know the problem, um, here's what you can do. Here's this insulin. And if you inject that, blah, 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 here's how you can control it. But the starting point had to be, here's the problem. Right? Whenever he explained the problem, there's, then he could explain what the cure was. And so it's the same thing here. Jesus knows that he has to start out with the problem here. So how, let's look at how Jesus helps this young man see what his problem and his need is. So look at verse, let's read verse 17 and 18 just again. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, so here's Jesus' initial response. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, is that not a strange initial conversation starter? So this man is desperate to know how he can have eternal life. And it looks like Jesus is getting hung up on a title. It looks like Jesus is getting hung up on what this man, how this man addresses him. I mean, why? Does it really matter, Jesus? Like, does it really matter what he's calling you? I mean, it's not as if he's calling you bad things. Like, we've all been called worse than this, right? We've all been called worse than good, good teacher. It's not as if he's calling them anything rude or calling them names. So why is Jesus getting so hung up? If you're one of the disciples, maybe with Jesus at that point, you would maybe be thinking, um, what on earth is Jesus doing? I mean, what a golden opportunity to share the gospel. And he's getting hung up on what he's calling him. Jesus, don't let yourself get sidetracked here. Stick with it or you'll lose him. Right? Let's not get sidetracked to this. So why is Jesus talking about how he is addressing him? Well, of course we know that Jesus wasn't getting sidetracked. Of course we know this isn't a waste. 
Of course we know that Jesus has a purpose in this. See, Jesus knows from this initial question that this man already thinks, he's already thinking that there's something good that he can do in order to attain eternal life. There's something good and something good that he can do in order to have eternal life. And as he comes to Jesus here, he's basically saying, you're, Jesus, you're, you're a good person. Or, or what, I'm sure you've heard people saying this to maybe you or to others. Jesus, you, you're, a, you're a good living person. Like, you're a good living person like, and, and you've got eternal life. So, so what do I need to do that's good in order to have what you have? Please tell me how I can be like you so I can have eternal life. What good thing do I need to do to have eternal life? And what Jesus wants to do, and then Jesus responds straight away, Jesus is trying to disassociate good works with eternal life. That's his initial thing he's trying to do here. Basically what Jesus is doing here, he's trying to teach what what he teaches later on in Ephesians through Paul. Remember in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So Jesus doesn't want, he wants this man to know that if you're going to have eternal life, it is nothing to do with good works. It is nothing to do with levels of goodness. So Jesus is saying here, why why are you calling me good? There's no one good, only God alone. Now, what? We need to explain that a bit, don't we? Because that seems a bit strange as well. Why is Jesus saying, why are you calling me good? There's no one good, only God. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm not good. Only God's good. So is Jesus denying his deity? Is he denying his goodness? Is he denying that he is God? Well, no, he's not. Of course he's not. Jesus isn't in this denying that he's good. Jesus is good. Jesus was good. He is God. But what he knows is this man doesn't see him as being God, right? This man only sees him as being a good teacher. This man has no idea that the person standing in front of him is God, the incarnate, God incarnate. He has no idea of that. He's only addressing him as one of the other, one of the good teachers of the law. And so as if Jesus is saying, if you, if you only see me as being a good teacher of the law, then you shouldn't be calling me good because there is humanly no one good, like no one good, only God alone. And so what Jesus is trying to do here, right from the off, ultimately what he's trying to do is he's trying to redefine good. Right, let's, Jesus starting point, let's talk about this whole good thing here. Let me redefine what good actually is. That's our starting point. Let me set the standard of goodness. If we want to talk about goodness, let me clear up what the standard of goodness actually is so that you can see how far short you actually fall. So when we read about, when Jesus says later on in his scriptures, you know, um, that, you know, we fall far short of the glory of God. Well, what? Well, how do you know? How do you know how far short of something you fall if you don't know what where it is? What what's the level? What's the standard? And so Jesus needs to set the standard of good, so this man can then see how far short he falls. Uh, whenever I was at uni, um, a lot of years ago now, um, I was going to start out in my, in my sort of guitar playing. 
career, <laughs> career, love that. Guitar playing, I started playing the guitar, right? And um, I don't know if any, any of you have learned an instrument, but you kind of get to a point where you're, you kind of, I, I get to a point where I'm just kind of getting a wee bit. I can actually play a song or two. Like, it's not just a random badly played chords. I'm actually putting a few chords together, all three of them, right? And I'm playing a song here, any Christian song pretty much, with a capo and three chords, right? So I was like, this is unreal. I can throw a capo on and play more songs with the same thing. So I was getting a wee bit kind of, you know, not too bad here, actually. So we used to go around to different people's houses, and inevitably you went to somebody's house and um, they had a guitar sitting in the corner, you know, so I would, you know, you'd obviously try to angle yourself kind of the seat near the guitar. And you'd be sitting there and then you'd kind of like, oh, guitar. I'll pick that up. You pick the guitar up and you kind of like, you start strumming those three chords, <laughs> you know. And it's like, oh, I'm not too bad. Then, then I went to somebody's house and they also had a guitar. In fact, I think they had two guitars. And uh, I seen the guitar beside me, but there was another guy, and he picked up one of the guitars. It was even a worse guitar. It was one of the ones with like, nylon strings. It shouldn't even sounded good. And I was like, no chance. Picked up his guitar, right? And this guy, he's one of my mates in uni. And um, he started, he lay up on the sofa. You know, is it? Oh, so it's going to sound like. Yeah, he started um, playing and singing Johnny Cash songs. And literally, he was all over the fretboard, ding, ding, picking away. I didn't, I'd never picked in my life the guitar, right? It's, and he was, he was all over the fretboard, and he was like, ding, 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 ding. And I looked at it, and I was just like, I, there's no chance I am picking that thing beside me up in his presence. And there's another thing, when I go home, I'm going to burn my guitar. I am never playing my guitar again. Honestly, it was one of the most awesome things and also one of the most depressing things all in one where I was like so disheartened because he was, he could play the guitar. And I realized at that point, Marcus, you're way off. You're way off. I didn't play my guitar in front of people for a long time after that. So he put me in my box. But can you see what happened? I thought it was good until I seen somebody who was awesome. And then I realized how it wasn't good. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. So this initial, him, him initially addressing how this man addresses him is not like a, he's not just getting hung up on a title here. He's trying to set the standard here. He's trying to help this person know how good God is. God is the standard of goodness. He's the only one who can be called good. No one else can be called good. So don't associate either me or any of the other prophets with good God is good. Him, he alone is good. Now, what, what can we learn from this as Christians and how we evangelize people? Well, here's the first thing I think. When we speak to people who aren't Christians, don't get above yourself. Right? Don't think that you're better than the person you're speaking to. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And this is one of the people in Scripture that you would say, oh, they're, they're some Christian. They are a Christian. 
And yet this, here we have them saying, no, no, Jesus died for the world to save sinners, and I'm the, mo- I'm the foremost. That's the position that we come to evangelize people. It has to be the position we share the gospel with people, where we say, I'm not good. I'm not good. Only God is good. I'm not better than you. We're equal here. So if somebody will come to you and say, you know what they say? Oh, you're so good. You're so good. You do- you do this and this, and I could never do that. I could never live like you. I could never be as good like you. You're such a good living person. All of this stuff. How do we respond? Do we do this sort of, uh, you know, kind of fake humility thing? We're like, oh, me? Good. Oh, stop it. Sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there's loads of things I do that aren't good as well. I'm sure. Or, you know, or do we, do we tell them, oh, listen, don't you worry about that? Um, God will change you. God will change you as well. And you'll be good as well then. But don't worry about being good just right now. That, and ask Jesus into your heart and then he'll, you'll, you can be good as well. Or when someone says that, oh, you're so good. Or is there instant reaction like, what? That is the most ridiculous thing. Uh, like, I'm not being rude, but honestly, you're way off. You're way wrong. See, when you're saying, oh, I'm so good, you're way off. That is the most ridiculous thing. Yes, of course, God is changing me. And yes, God is, 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 is helping me to produce good works. So we're not denying that we, we can do good things, of course. But for you to describe me as being good, no, 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 no. You, you, your standards off. There's only one person who is good, and that is God alone. Of course, we do good things, Right? It doesn't mean that, you know, you know, there's that script verse in the Bible where it says, you know, you know, all our good works are like filthy rags. And that's been sort of misquoted and misunderstood. It doesn't mean that everything we do as Christians are filthy rags, right? It's speaking to the, the Israelite people in that. Because God says that in other scriptures that he's pleased with our works, right? He's pleased. There's things that God, we do that everything we do as believers, every good thing we do can't be described as just awful, but what we have to realize as we're Christians that anything good that we do is not produced by us, right? It's produced by God. He's the author of goodness. And so anything I do is a result of him indwelling in me and his spirit helping me to do that good. So it's the fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit? Fruit of the spirit are the good works or the results. That's, that's the spirit's work in me, right? So that's his works. That's his goodness working through me. In and of myself, I could not do that. Yes, we can say that there's goodness in the world. And yes, we can say that non-Christians, of course, there is a level of goodness of um, what we call superficial goodness that everyone can do, even the Christian or not Christian. But the goodness that God's speaking of here is different. The goodness that God is speaking of here is, is that faith-based goodness. It comes from the place of faith, and it comes to a place of glorifying God. So do our works glorify God? And so for someone to say to me, oh, you know, you're so good. Listen, you're so good because you know, I, I, I couldn't be like that. No, 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 no. If there's any good you see in me, any goodness that you see in me is all as a result of God. God is the author of that. And so we can't take any credit for that. And so as, as, non, as Christians, when we're approaching people, it's so vital that we approach people with a, a stance of humility. We're not any better than anyone else, right? 
We're no better than the person we're speaking to. They have sin in their life. We have sin in our life. Apart from God, we are sinners as well. We're all on equal playing field. But what about if you aren't a Christian, for those who aren't Christians, what can you learn from this? Well, here's the first thing. If, if, if you think you're good enough, if you think you're good enough in of yourself for God, you're not. Like you're not good enough. You're not reaching the standard that God needs, that God requires. And you can't. Or maybe you think, maybe you think that you're not good enough. Maybe you realize, oh, I'm not good enough. And, and you're just trying to be better in the hope that one day you'll, you'll get eternal life through trying to do as many good things as you possibly can. Well, that's futile as well, isn't it? Just stop trying. I would say to you, stop trying. It's futile because you can never reach this level of goodness that God desires, that God requires. The level of goodness that he requires is perfection. It's, he's the level of goodness. So if you're trying to be good, then you've got to try. You've got to reach the levels of God. You've got to be like God. And that's, that's a futile journey to be on, isn't it? And so stop trying. And so this is actually good news for you, isn't it? It's good news to know that your eternal life is not a result of any good th- goodness in us. It's not as a result of any good works or reaching any level of good works. Salvation has zero to do with good works. And so here's Jesus establishing this right at the start of this conversation. He's established this young ruler that eternal life has nothing to do with the level of good in him. He can't be doing things because the bar is too high. Jesus has set the standard now. So here's the standard for good. And now what he wants to do now is show this man how far short he falls of it. And so he needs to call out this man's sin. He needs him to realize his own personal sin. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, what's stopping you from having eternal life is your sin. Right? It's not... It's not, you, can, you can say that, oh, well, you know, it's not just my fault because there's loads of external things that have happened around me and loads of brokenness around my life and, and I've just been a victim of all of that. And I have no doubt that you may be a victim of external brokenness around you. You may have been hurt by external brokenness that's around you. And I'm not denying that or belittling that. But ultimately, what's stopping you from having eternal life is the brokenness inside you. It's your own personal sin that's stopping it. And Jesus needs this man to realize this. And so how does he do that? Well, let's read on verse 19 and 20. What does Jesus now say? You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So now you get a sense of where this man's at. He, he, doesn't, he, thinks he's, he thinks he's good enough. He knows there's still something not right. It's a weird one, isn't it? He's, he, he, knows he's, he thinks he's a good person, but he knows that but there's, there's just something still I just know isn't right, but I can't work out what that is. And so he thinks he's good enough in and of himself. 
And so what Jesus now needs to do is he needs to get very personal with this man. And he gets really personal with him here and points out, he just puts his finger on a specific sin in his life that this man can identify with. So let's look at that, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, now, let's just stop for a second at that. <clears throat> it, that may be a, seem like an insignificant wee part there. Why has is, why is Jesus included that? And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him. I think that's a really, really vital line in there. I think that's a really vital line. I think it's a really relevant part of this text for us today. So it's relevant because as we speak to people, we need to be speaking out of a heart of love for them. We need to be speaking out of a heart of love. But I think it's relevant because in today's, the, the world we live in today, when we begin telling people about their sin, with their personal sin. What, what is it we're going to be accused of? What's the first thing we're accused of being? So we're accused of being unloving, aren't we? That's not a very loving thing to say. You know, I, I, you're not being very tolerant of me. Or it's, it's not for you to judge, judge me or judge others. They're not doing anything to harm anybody else. You're, that's a very unloving thing for you to say. For you to tell me that I'm a sinner, for you to tell me that I've got sin in my life, that not something is stopping me from having eternal life, you can't say that to me. That's very unloving. And yet here we have God. Here we have Jesus. Before he points this, points this personal sin in this man's life, he prefaces it by, and Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, so whatever Jesus is going to say to him here is a loving thing to him, right? This is a loving thing. And so what does he say to him? You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Come follow me. One thing, right? He said there's You've done, you, may be, you may think you're, all, you're a great person and you've done all these things and at the minute you're still blind to, what, to your own sin. He says, but, but I can tell you there's, there's one thing that you're missing here. I want you to go sell all you have and give to the poor. Now, that doesn't mean that the one thing is, oh, the one thing missing is that he just needs to sell all the stuff. If he, get, if he just goes and sells all the stuff, gives the poor, then he'll have eternal life. So that's, it looks like that's what Jesus is saying, but that's not what he's saying, right? Jesus is telling him to go and sell all that he has and give to the poor because he knows that that will highlight, that will bring to the surface the one thing that's missing. What is the one thing that this man is missing? Jesus, yes, Jesus is teaching here about the dangers of riches. And we could talk here this morning all about the dangers of riches and, and how money can be, uh, you know, we have to control our love for money and all of those things. And yes, there is teaching on the danger of riches here. There is 
But I think it's actually a secondary teaching in this text because I think the primary teaching here is that riches is just one example of something that can prevent us from having the one thing that God wants from us. Riches is just one thing that can prevent us from having the one thing that we lack. What is the one thing that this man lacked? Well, the one thing that he lacked was Jesus. Jesus is saying, there's one thing you lack, and that one thing you lack, it's me. He's standing in front of you right now. That's what you're lacking. You're lacking me as your God. Right? This man loved his riches so much. He loved his riches too much to let go of them and accept Christ. David Mathis, who's one of the editors of Desiring God, puts it this way. He says, it's as though the man stood there with his hands full of money and said, you lack one thing, reach out and take my hands. But to do this, the man must open his fingers and let the money fall. The one thing he needs is not what falls out of his hands, but what he takes into his hands. One thing you're lacking here. At the minute... You are breaking the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me, right? The one thing you're lacking in your life is having me as God of your life, having me as number one of your life. That's what you're lacking. But at the minute, you've substituted me on the throne for your riches. Your riches are what's on the throne of your life. You worship your riches. That's what's important to you, right? And that's the sin that's in your life. Sin is what? What is sin, really? Sin is dethroning God and putting something else up there. That's ultimately what it is. So, so if I, even in my life, if I um, do something that's wrong, right? If I um, even have, like, you know, an envious thought, or if I have, like, we take it to the other extreme, if I, if I have hatred in my heart, right? And if I, like, seek to revenge on someone, if I go and I seek out revenge on someone, at that point, I, I have decisions to make. I have a decision. Do I trust God? Do I have him as king of this situation where he tells me not the secret revenge, revenge is mine, and he tells me to love the person and pray for them and pray for those who persecute you, right? So that's, that's if, I go, if I obey God there, then that's me putting God on the throne of that situation. But if then I say, do you know what? I'm just going to go and get revenge. What I do is I, I kick God off the throne of that situation and I put me up there. And I'm, no, no, I'm going to do what I want here. Right? So I'm going to rule over this situation. So I'm going to become my own God. And Jesus gets knocked off. And so that's what we do all the time. That's what sin is. Sin is not acknowledging God as your ruler and king of your life and saying, no, I submit to you, God, not as some tyrant king, but because you're the, the, the perfect king. You're the king who gave his life for me. You're the king who rules over all. I am going to submit to you and obey you and trust you. With my life. And so Jesus is saying, that's what's missing in your life. You're not putting me as your king. Your riches are up there. And I'm going I'm to help you see that. Take all those things that are there. Take them all away, right? Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Give it all away. And what is this man's response? What does he do? How does this story end? Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What a sad ending. 
What a sad ending. See, this man looked and he thought, no, I don't want, I don't want you, Jesus, to be on the throne. I want to keep my, I love my riches too much. And so today, Jesus, I'm going to say no to you. And he walked off. He walked off sad because he still knew that he had something missing in his life. And yet he didn't want to sacrifice the God of his life for the one true God. If you're, um, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, as we finish, if you're a Christian, what can we learn from this? I, I have... Um, I have this sort of real kind of concern for us as Christians in how we evangelize and how we share the gospel. Right? I think that what can happen is I'm afraid that we maybe in our sharing of the gospel we're actually um, almost preparing that the rocky ground, right? And we're, and we're, well, the seed falls and maybe, it, or, or maybe it's a shallow ground, the seed falls and then it, oh, it sprouts up for a bit and then when the difficulties of the world come, it just disappears. So things that look like conversions, look like Christianity, but actually then when they're tried, they're actually not real. And I'm, when someone comes to us and asks us about salvation or things of how to have eternal life, I'm afraid that maybe we shy away from telling them about their sin. You know, we'll just say, listen, yeah, you want to become a Christian? Well, yeah, Jesus loves you. Correct, he does love you. You know, and uh, we tell them about the hope of this new world. Um, Well, there's going to be no pain or sickness or sadness. Yes, of course there is. And yes, we need to tell them about that. It's an awesome thing to tell people who aren't Christians about the hope that is in us of this new world. Can we tell them about Jesus? Of course, tell them that Jesus is is the great comforter who comforts us in our pain. He brings peace in those circumstances where there's really deep trials in our life. Yes, we can talk about the blessings of a Christian life. Absolutely. Keep on telling them about that. But do we miss out telling them the one thing that's stopping them from having all of that? Do we shy away from telling them about their sin? Do we miss off telling them of the danger that their sin leaves them in? Right? Are we, are we trying to, it's as if we're, are we trying to, are we trying to sort of, you know, it's, it's almost like, I just kind of picture of like, somebody out paddleboarding in the, in, in the middle of the sea somewhere, right? They've decided they're going to go, it's a nice sunny day. And they want to take a paddleboard out, and they're out, and they're just loving this paddleboard, and they're just, and then this, like, you know, you get this boat comes along, or this, like, you know, lifeboat comes along, and this lifeboat is sort of saying, hey, hey, you need, you should come in here, right, get into our boat, get into our boat, and they're like, thanks for the offer. Uh, what's in your boat? Uh, do you know well, no, do you know what I'm fine today, because um, I actually, I'm just out on paddleboard here, and I'm, I'm having a great time on a paddleboard, and it's a lovely day, and so thanks for the offer, but no, no, I'm, I'm okay. And we're like, no, but you, you should come on the boat, you should come on the boat, it's really good, it's got all these, this stuff and all, it's a, come on, come on, come on. We're like, no, 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 I'm fine, thanks. And we're trying to sort of tell them all this, 
But if only we'd have told them, um, look behind you, right? This water is full of sharks. And if you look behind you, you'll see the fins coming up around you and they're starting to circle you. Do you want to get into the boat now? They were like, of course I will, because I see the danger. And I'm, I'm wondering, are we, have we, have we, and me included, have we maybe shied away from telling people of their sin, of the danger? Because maybe we live in a really offended world where everybody's offended and we're afraid to say anything because, oh, you're going to offend someone. Are you going to step on their human rights and all of this stuff? Are we, are we shying away from telling them of the danger? Please. And I'm in this with you. Because I know what it's like as well, living in that world. But can we pray and think about how can we tell these people about their sin? It's not as if we're saying it in a judgmental way. We're saying it from a point where I'm the same as you. Listen, I, I can see that there's sin in your life and in my life. We're both the same here. I'm no better than you. Right? And so I'm not being judgmental. So if we're afraid of people thinking we're judgmental, that gets wiped away because, no, I'm not being judgmental. I'm not speaking to you from an elevated position. I'm on the same level as you. I've got sin in my life as well. Right? I was in the same danger as well, and Jesus rescued me. Don't leave out telling people why they need Jesus. Why they need Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, well, if now, at this point, right now, you're being brought face to face with your sin this morning, don't do what this young man does. Right? Don't walk away from Jesus. Mark 1.15 says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. Repent doesn't... Repent doesn't mean turning your life around because you can't do that. Jesus will do that. But repent means like having this mindset that, that there's almost this mindset determination. Okay, I, God, I realize that my sin is pulling me this direction. I'm walking this direction. And God, I just confess, I want to turn my life around now. And I want to, I'm, going to, I'm determined to turn around. I want you to now help me to live for you. I want to live for you. Is there that desire? And you believe he says, repent and believe. Believe what? Believe that, well, you've got a problem. Believe that you're a sinner. Believe that you need God to rescue you. But also believe that none of your sin is unforgivable. Now, there's no level of sin that's unforgivable. Jesus took your sin on himself, and he died on the cross. Why did Jesus die on the cross, come to earth and die on the cross? Because he knew none of us could attain the level of goodness that he required, including this man, this rich young ruler. So when Jesus is speaking to this rich young ruler, Jesus knows that in a short period of time, he's going to hang on the cross for the very sin that he's pointing out to this man. So Jesus isn't expecting this man necessarily to sell everything, give to the poor, and then that'll, everything will be okay. He just wants to use that to highlight, you can't, the bar is too high. I don't expect you to do that. I don't expect you to try and reach this bar. I expect you and I want you just to trust in me that I have come and I have I've lived that perfect life that you can't live and I have died taking on me all of your sin.
trust in me, acknowledge your sin to me, come to me, acknowledge that you're a sinner, just acknowledge that you've got sin in your life, confess it to me, repent, call out to me, cry out to me for salvation, and I will save you. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And so don't finish your story of today the same way as this young man finished his. Cry out. Cry out to Jesus today. Let me pray for us. God, as we read this text, we believe in its truth. God, we thank you for your example here in Scripture. Jesus, we thank you that even as we, you spoke to this young man, you spoke to him with love in your heart for him. God, we thank you for your love for us. Will you help us to love others like you love them? Will you help us to lovingly share the gospel with them? Help us to lovingly share the full gospel with them, the full counsels of God. Help us to share it with them all. Help us and give us strength and wisdom to know how to help people to see their need of Jesus. God, help us not to leave this out. Give us the love in our hearts and give us the wisdom on our lips to know how we can do this. And God, I pray that as we do this, that many people will come to you. Many people will come to faith in you, Jesus, that they will come dependent on you, knowing that they can't of themselves. And I pray that you will save. So God, help us. Help us to be faithful to Scripture. Help us to be faithful evangelists of the gospel both in our town, community, but in our workplace, in our family, and wherever it is. And I pray that as a result of that, we will see fruit, and we'll see many people come into faith in you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.